Michelle Tafoya, who I've not talked to th- since the very nice time of doing PTI with her, and I've had nothing but cordial experiences with her, but I've read recently that you have been on the dark side, secretly on the dark side. And so uh, walk me through. Good to see you again, Michelle, by the way. Hi, uh, I, I guess from the dark side, I didn't know that it was dark, but thanks for letting me know. Maybe I should turn on some more lights in here. We have not seen each other in a long time. So yeah. tell, tell me more about where you were the last time we saw each other and what you've seen happen in America in the, uh, I don't know, has it been 15 years since? Wow, has it been that long, Dan? I, I, if it's been 15 years, so much has happened and it's it's we're not in a good place in America. That's one thing I know. And part of it is because with due respect, and I know you're half joking, people look at each other as being either on one end of a spectrum or the other and that there's no middle. And as Matthew McConaughey put it very well the other day, uh, there's a vast middle. And actually I find myself in the middle and uh, desperate to to find common ground with people because I, I don't think we're as divided as we appear. You don't though, Michelle, because it feels like we are that divided. No, I know it feels that way. You know, feelings are one thing, um, actually looking at things and dissecting them a little bit more and looking for facts is another. I know it feels that way, particularly if you're really dug in on your side. It feels that way. Uh, you can predict how every event in America is going to be discussed just because the usual suspects in the corners do the talking the loudest. Um, I live in Minnesota. I was born and raised in California. I've worked a lot on the East Coast, both in Washington, D.C., New York, you know, and I've been all over the country doing my job uh, for when I was covering the NFL for NBC and, and ABC before that. And there is a vast middle and it's, as usual, uh, a little quieter. How is it that I think I'm in the middle and you think you're in the middle and I'm looked at as far left and you're looked at as far right when all I look at is, man, our leadership everywhere stinks. The Republicans seem ruthless to me and the Democrats seem weak and none of them represent me. Then I wouldn't say that you're on the far left. I don't know who sees me on the far right. I mean, I'm a pro-choice libertarian. I don't know how that makes me far right. All I am is a fiscal conservative who really wants America to come together and for people to be able to realize their potentials and not be told that they're oppressed or that they are an oppressor. That's kind of boils it down for me. I'd like to see some law and order so people don't get hurt. Let's just stop there for a second, right? Because I think one of the things that gets lost here, and, and to me, what I struggle with specifically where we earn our living, uh, you know, you on the sidelines of a very big event where uh, we are capitalizing on black bodies and my history uh, in this uh, sport and my talking about race relations for a long time is part of what ends up making me unpopular or different. Like some of the ways that you talk about race uh, feel make it feel to me like the cry for equality feels too much like a threat for my liking. The cry for equality? Yes. Well, what have I said that makes you feel that way? Not right now. I'm saying things that I have read and what I believe about perhaps things I assume about your viewpoint, but I can't check all the boxes with you because, again, I don't know how you feel. Uh, you have said you're pro-choice. That does not fit with uh, with the checking of the boxes. If, if I may, you led with your uh, a pro-choice libertarian and your fiscal conservative, and then you said, uh, I don't want to believe that 
one group is oppressed and another party is oppressors. And that is like, that is eschewing just, hey, I'm a fiscal conservative. Sociologically speaking, I am a conservative and I believe in law and order. These are all platform issues and, and slogans of a party that is not just fiscally conservative. Law and order is a platform of a party that is not just fiscally conservative. What does that mean? I imagine what you're getting to in law and order was like the hot button issue of the peaceful protest, something that Jack Del Rio kind of stepped in. So it's a typically people that are conservative. This is problematic. Uh, you're talking about a hot button issue that I'm not even discussing. You're making an assumption about something I said. No, law not, and order. Michelle, I'm not. No, look, I'm, you are. You no, just I'm said. In, no, I'm independent. But when you say that uh, you I, don't, don't want to believe. You are, but you just assigned a value to something I said that was so benign and you've assigned the wrong value to it. OK, eliminate the Jack Del Rio part if you want to seize on that. You said that you would like to believe I'm paraphrasing here. You don't want to feel like there is a group that there are oppressors. Right. Can you explain that in your own words, what you mean by that? Yes, I can. What is being taught in many places, and I don't know if any of you have kids in school. I do. I have two teenagers. And that the color of their skin automatically makes them racist at birth. So tell me how that makes sense. Let's just start there. Uh, with When it comes to critical race theory, I think critical race theory is held up as just don't reinforce. This is my take on it. This is a treetop view on it, and we're not going to get in the weeds. Uh, on it. I think it's often labeled by the right as something, hey, we just don't want to be reminded of our nation's history. We don't That's want to be- That's not true at all. Okay. I'd like to be reminded. I want my kids to know. I've well, taught my kids about slavery and how abhorrent it is. And it's a disgusting so place. What is your, in fact, so so let's, let's peel back. What is your specific problem, once again, with critical race theory? What is one issue in critical race theory that you vehemently disagree with that you well, think it's toxic and I'd divisive? I'd like you first to then define for me critical race theory, because people use that as an umbrella term to capture. Oh, what, what? I'm sorry. I'm I'm affirming something for you. No. Yeah, you are affirming like I, you and I agree there. I do think that critical race theory is held up as a, a blanket statement that people don't necessarily have much understanding of. So we're in agreement so Why far. Are you ask, OK, so you're asking me what I think of what I have a problem with, with critical race theory. Yes, that's a question. So define it for me then, because I, I don't think we're always talking about the same thing. When people just well, throw out CRT, I'd like you to define it for well, me so I know what you're talking about specifically. Well, we were, I, for those that don't know and are just listening to audio, what you seized on as confirmation when I extended my arm was I was bringing in my fellow producer, Roy Bellamy, who, who feels very passionately about critical race theory and might be able to uh, speak to it a little bit better than I. So I was just welcoming him to the floor, I guess. Thank you for the vine. We'll just welcome him in. Yeah, basically, critical race theory is this country is built off of racism, like slavery and whatnot. And policies that are built this country is basically built off of slavery and racism and how that is affecting today's life. OK, so here's what I think about that. This country was built on racism and slavery, and we've done a lot to turn that around. Um, and a lot. And what I have a, I guess, an issue with now is my kids. Now I'm Hispanic by background. Okay. My daughter, I adopted from Bogota, Colombia in South America. So she's got really nothing to do with this, but she's a, she's an American. She's an American citizen. My husband is pretty white. <laughs> and so my son probably resembles a split between the two of us. So he's being taught 
that because he was born without dark skin, he's inherently racist. Can you explain that? How that is true? Can for you explain you? how that is actually where, happening? Where is that being taught? Because I don't, I don't see that textbook. So if you want to throw out mass blankets or accuse others of doing that, please tell me the where in the syllabus that's read being taught. White fragility. Is that being taught? Is that part of state curriculum? This is interesting. You always go to. Is that part of state curriculum? Here's one issue you guys need to know. Do you, first of all, do you have kids in school? I do. She's very okay. young, though. Okay. How old is she? She's two. So this is okay. Not, yeah. Okay, so this is, but thank I, I, God. I did okay. go to school and I was never taught this. I, well, I, because this is a rather new phenomenon. Wouldn't you agree? When white, was the first? White fragility it, being taught? I, I never took that class. I never had it as an elective. White fragility is a book. Right. But where in the I, syllabus is this? Is, is this, this is the first time I'm hearing about this book, let alone like. Not every, do you realize that not every school has the same syllabus, well, right? You realize, you realize but you realize critical race theory is a catch-all. And you're cherry picking one book to boost your argument when but, when w there are math books that are being banned uh, that subscribe to critical race theory as a, you as a me where this is being taught. OK, so in my experience and I'm not cherry picking in my experience, kids are being taught and there are these uh, worksheets that are being passed out about your privilege because of the color of your skin and white fragility is a book that teaches you're inherently racist, and if you deny that you're racist, that just uh, underscores the fact that you are racist. And if you accept that you're racist, then you're just, again, underscoring that you're racist. So there's no win there. It, I'm sorry, why are you shaking your head? You, there's no, I've barely spoken three minutes on this program, I'm, and I feel like I've made three enemies. And this I, I'm, is, I, Look, I'm letting you speak. I'm not, I'm not cutting you off. I'm making faces just because I'm having quite a visceral reaction, but I'm letting you have the floor. What, what am I saying that's so viscerally because offensive you're cherry picking a book that is relatively an outlier and you realize that critical race theory is being used as a catch-all to eliminate far You were less the one that brought up critical race theory. I didn't. All I said was you did when it, you, I don't no, like you, you brought up critical race theory without actually saying the words when you said, I don't believe that we should continue to teach one group that they are oppressed and another group that they are oppressors. I, I see. You on find, and you assigned that to critical race theory. I think you have in the Ma past. Michelle, how do you, how do you, you define it? Those letters never came out of my mouth. Michelle, until well, they came don't, out of wouldn't mouth. you accuse? All right, let's do it this way. When you say, I don't want to believe that one group is an oppressor and one group is oppressed. Wouldn't you say that critical race theory is one of those driving forces that is uh, forcing that division? I would say that in my experience with my kids' school and the things I see being taught in my communities here in Minnesota, that to divide people by color and assign senses of spirit and feeling and belief to them based on the color of their skin before they even speak, which is, <laughs> I know what's happening here. Go ahead. You, I'm not. I'm not just, stopping you from speaking. You just stopped yourself from speaking. I am yeah, a Latino I man. I'm not. I'm not infringing on your. I, I'm not no, infringing no, no, on your no. right. But what the audience can't see is you saying, "Oh my God," and reacting. If, yeah, so Michelle, you've done that to me, and I'm not calling you out on it. I, I keep well, it moving because I'm, I'm trying you to. Out have on it because you seem to be so angry with me, and I. I'm not, I'm not angry with you. I feel so like you you're setting up. on the show to to just no. come right out of the gate. No, we. I think we assume that I am some sort of. Um. I don't know what you made the assumption. I'm on the dark side. It was like in the first 10 seconds of the, the interview. I don't understand this. Okay, Dan was just framing it. I'll, Michelle, I'll it I, I was, I was uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not getting anywhere. And I, I see the, 
I don't think either of us are going to change each other's minds, and I'm not seeking to change your mind, Michelle. I'm not your mind. I, I'm I not, wasn't here to change. No, your mind. I, I feel like we keep getting stuck on any time that I try to challenge you and have a discourse, and you keep getting set off by just my facial reaction. So I will stop talking well, and I will stop reacting facially. I do appreciate the time and I do appreciate the discourse, and I like to peel back. I think you said uh, a lot of things that are informative. I think you held up one example when I counter with. It's being used as a vessel to remove a lot of things that have nothing to do with the one specific instance that you're saying. I, I think that that's productive, wait, wait a productive a conversation. Wait, wait a but I also <laughs> think that just just to divide it in black and white, that's not just where the divisions are right now. If you see the liberty, oh, I agree with that. If you I see with that, the, but I don't know where you stand on LGBTQ uh, issues, but like I said. This sort of culture war is being held up as a catch-all, and critical race theory is just held up as a blanket statement. And, Again, and, it, I just, and it's censoring a lot of things that have nothing to do with what you're alleging. So I just I wanted to press it. you on that. Uh, what What am I alleging? Uh, Dan, I, I will hand it back to you. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, uh, Michelle, sorry. The, the beginning... What, what am I alleging? <laughs> well, the, the beginning part of this, I was not walking you into a trap. I have not talked to you in, in a long time, and the last experience I had with you was lovely. I was not looking for this to become that. I am sorry, genuinely, that upon introduction, uh, I was awkward and you misconstrued uh, the no, entry point. No, I, I knew you were joking. I Honestly, I did know you were joking, Dan. What, what I'm concerned about right now is that I was asked some questions and when I tried to answer with it, one example, I was told I was cherry picking before I could even get to other examples. So I've got kids in school who are being taught some things that make me uncomfortable. I want American history taught from top to bottom, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've taught my kids at home and they're being taught at school about all of it. Uh, what I don't appreciate is my kids being told that, that because of the, or my son, especially not my daughter, because she's brown, I guess, she, you know, she's not told the same things. Um, and yeah, if you want to jump in, jump in. No, well, um, I, I was just curious, Michelle, what exactly she's being taught. I, I, I don't, is White Fragility again, a book in the syllabus in the school? Is that one of the, part of the curriculum? What is it specifically? What piece of literature is she being taught that you're taking specific exception to because you've been speaking in generalities? Well, because it's happening in generalities and you may or may not discover this as your little girl grows up, but as, the, as school progresses, some ideas start to filter into the classroom that are, again, dividing kids by nationalities. So my son's first best friend in school, and I've used this example yeah, quite a bit. I'm familiar with it. I, I, go ahead with the audience. But I, I just would like to say you're afforded to speak in generalities, and I'm not. And so far, the one example that you held up is not an example that's being taught in school. But please continue. Uh, so you know for a fact that... No, I don't know for a fact what, what I asked you specifically what's being taught, and you spoke in generalities, yet you seize on me when I spoke in generalities. You haven't told me yet one piece of curriculum that's being taught in this school. I'm trying, you held up I, white fragility. You know, you're going to tell me a story about lunch and how they were beautiful friends when they were younger and they've grown more and more divided, potentially because of discourses like the one that we're having right now, because I, like you, often think that I am occupying the middle. And I am asking you, you said they're being taught specifically something about divisiveness and, and critical race theory. And I asked you to again, please, I'll go, I'll try to get this please out. pinpoint like what specifically they are being taught. Is there a book? Is there a piece of curriculum? Is there a teacher? Is there a homework assignment? Is there a paper or is it more generalities? 
It comes out in specific ways, workbooks that I've seen in the classroom or, or sheet, uh, work checklists about your privilege. And a lot of it stems from the color of one's skin. For me personally, to teach anywhere from third grade on to eighth grade, that the color of your skin defines you and defines your character, I don't find it helpful in any way. My son has been afraid to raise his hand in class because he disagrees with some of what's being taught and that he's, you know, because certain classes are oppressed and others are the oppressors and it's very cut and dried. So these are the things that I hear coming home, not only from my own kids, but from other kids in school and other schools around my community. I have a pretty good network of friends uh, that have kids at public and private and parochial schools and all the rest. So while I think it's really important to teach history and to teach about how this country was founded on slavery and what's gone on ever since through the civil rights movement up until today is supremely important, supremely. I guess where I have a difference of opinion with, with my school in particular is that everything is, your character is determined by the color of your skin. And that's not how I see the world. And that's not how I want my kids to be taught to see the world. Well, this is clearly a state issue. We live in the state of Florida and Governor Ron DeSantis has signed both the Stop Woke Act and the Don't Say Gay Bill in the law. And it's increasingly difficult for teachers in the state to teach students here anything about what's happening in this country about race. It's very difficult to talk to students about gender uh, and about sexual orientation. And a lot of this is based off of how the parents feel. So a lot of this is kids being taught by the parents about race and about how to act towards women and how uh, how to love and everything like that. It's, it's just making life difficult for people who are paid to teach our kids what's happened in history. Uh, like a couple years ago, the show called Watchmen came out on HBO. That's when a majority of Americans learned about what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's not even being taught in schools. It, which is ridiculous. It should be taught in schools. Every part of American history should be taught in schools. Every part of American history should be taught in schools. So why, why are our politicians making it harder for that to be taught? You know, it's interesting. I, I've read the, what you referred to as the don't say gay bill and nowhere in that bill does it say don't say gay. So I think we're mislabeling that bill. And it really applies to a very narrow, uh, a small window of time in a kid's education. And, and really, it, I mean, we're talking about young kids. They just don't, parents apparently in Florida do not want in the classroom um, this stuff taught as part of the curriculum. We've got lots of friends, lots of friends who have two dads or two moms, and that's very common in our, our circle of friends. Um, that's not something that's being hidden or, you know, so I, I don't see how the realities of that can be ignored simply because, I mean, not everything has to be taught in school. And a lot of this stuff can be taught at home. And if parents decide and vote in people that want to represent their notion that, you know, I'd like to do this my way at home because we have our own social values. I mean, if we're going to be tolerant of everyone, 
Sometimes that means being tolerant of people we really disagree with. And but this country affords us that. So I, I think that, again, the don't say gay bill has been mislabeled. And it's it's I don't see it as homophobic. I see it as saying in these grades, I think it's three through is it three through six, yeah. three through eight? Yeah. Really respectfully, young respectfully, Michelle, I don't think it's your place to say whether or not it's homophobic. I think the the offended have a voice in this matter. And if they are saying it's homophobic, then perhaps we should listen to them. That's totally appropriate. I'm fine with that. But I don't I've read the bill. And, and sometimes these everyone always says that words matter and facts matter. And they do. Yeah. You know, look, I it's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of anyone uh, in that that LGBTQ community because I'm not in that community, but I do relate with a lot of those people. And I, I don't know a, a lot of people who are offended by this, particular, but that's just me. That's in my experience. Yeah. So I guess I can't answer your question necessarily because I don't live in Florida, Yeah. but nowhere in the bill does it say, don't say gay. And I think in the hallways, again, if you've got a, a, a no, but that, my, that, that, that it, it it says through its actions, don't don't say gay, and that's why it's kind of labeled that. But I, I understand what you're getting at, Michelle, and I'm sorry to, to cut you off there. I do feel like we're making progress. I, I When I hear you speak about division and, and shaping the American experience, it, it is awfully idealistic. And I hear you say things like, I, I'd like to take uh, in schools to teach civil rights through the civil rights movement through present day. Well, here in the state of Florida and other states, when the the critical race theory hot button is pressed, it is used as a catch-all, and things like Tulsa or things eventually like George Floyd may be used as things that they can issue. When you're out here on our show saying, I would still like to to teach that, I am with you that the color of your skin doesn't define you. However, we are still living in an age where the color of your skin may define your experience as an American, how people are treated at you. It's why numbers from law enforcement are disproportionate to African-Americans and, and minorities than they are to white males. It's a reality of the American experience right now, and school is supposed to train you, in part, for your life coming up. From kindergarten on up, you're learning about how to prepare for the next phase in adulthood. And I think critical race theory tries to ignore certain aspects of that. Maybe not you. I'm not saying Michelle Tafoya but perhaps some of the politicians Michelle Tafoya supports, or certainly here in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis, it is just basically ignoring parts of history that could be helpful so we can learn from it because that's why we teach history, so we can yeah. learn from it. I, I, I personally don't see any parts of history being banned uh, from, from schools. I have not seen that. I don't see that. Um, the you don't, one you don't thing believe do in the whitewashing of textbooks. You don't yeah, believe. Exactly. You don't believe in that. That what has been taught before now is the same thing that you're objecting to, which is the history books have been whitewashed by uh, by omitting many of the things, uh, like for example Tulsa and any number of black societies that end up underwater physically because we don't know the history of this I, country. I'm not going to go through the full list, but the state of Florida banned 54 mathematics books under the guise of critical race theory. They recently reinstituted nine of those. So, and if you do some digging on who are some of the companies that are putting out these textbooks, there's all sorts of political don uh, donations. That's politics as usual. But my point is critical race theory is being used as a catch-all. And Dan brings up the point that it's being used to basically whitewash history books. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor of truth. 
I think one of the problems is, and, and you guys just alluded to this, who's presenting what, right? Whose facts are we reading? Whose facts are we looking at? It's become impossible in my mind to trust any textbook. I don't care where it comes from, to trust any newspaper, to trust institutions because they have become so politicized. So when I open up a newspaper, I'm almost automatically, I look at a headline and I just go, who wrote the headline? What is this really, who wrote this piece and what was their agenda? It does not seem to me that we in America have this straight line thinking of fact, objective fact anymore. Okay, but no, we do disagree on the facts, though, Michelle, because at least in part, you say don't say gay is not part of that bill. You've read the bill. Don't say gay in words is not part of that bill. But that legislation, you said you've read the bill, felt homophobic to me. So when you read that legislation or the portions of it, why does it not feel homophobic to you? What do you think teachers are going to be doing in schools with the sexual orientations of kids? Well, you know, look, it's anecdotal, everything that we're hearing, right, the, the, of what's going on in some schools. And I think I think what's happened, and we all talk about this, is that during COVID and we watched our kids on their Zoom classes and people saw some things they didn't like. I am reticent, you guys, to, to, to speak so much about Florida in which you are ensconced and I am not. Each state is a laboratory trying its own stuff. And the only problem that I have with what you're saying about those three words don't say gay is because those words don't live in that bill. And so if it feels homophobic to some people, I understand that. No, I think no, to other it, people, but it is, but it is, it is homophobic. Like you, it's almost impossible to read the language of that, uh, of that. Depends on your, what you, the lens you're reading it through, doesn't it? Um, well, this is what you're saying about alternate sets of facts. I don't believe both sides are dealing with facts. I believe that for a long time, what we've been seeing is the facts don't matter. And everyone goes to their corners and grab the selective facts that support their bias so that right. they can continue Absolutely. reaffirming their beliefs. Like it's right. a, and so that's what I just said. There's no attention to just plain old facts standing on their own. And by the way, this is why we're having so much trouble trusting in these institutions, because they do take a fact and spin it. I mean, if the spin is dizzying. Okay, right but, from both sides but help me and so, so so where do we go where well, whom do help, we trust help me as people who get accused all the time of checking the same boxes if people make assumptions about you that are unfair because you have a viewpoint in one place how do you feel about what you see happening in legislation and governance that violates women's rights when it comes to abortion well i see that the uh the i'm sure you're referring to the roe case being leaked um if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it is my understanding legally this does not ban abortion nationally. It turns it back to the states. Many states will do that. And I think that's insane. I think that women should have a right to an abortion. I don't know the details, the specifics. I've only read quotes about why you left NBC Sports. I thought about leaving three years ago. I gave my notice in, I think it was 2018. And my producer, Fred Goodelli, said, well, what if you worked half of the season and just get me through to the next Super Bowl. And this is a, a long over three years conversation. And the only reason I wanted to leave is because I wanted to do stuff like this. I wanted to have discourse where hopefully we could find common ground and build from the common ground. And that's what I'm trying to do with my podcast. That is why I left. I was not fired. I was not asked to leave. I was asked to stay. I chose to step out into the danger zone, if you will, of being public with 
this kind of conversation so that hopefully we could reach across and find some common ground and bring a little bit of sense back to to the country and some unity back to the country. We're never going to be unified on every issue. Never. I'm convinced of that. History tells us that. But we are so weakened right now by these great divides. The fact that we all love sports and we're sitting here talking like this, and it's a little bit heartbreaking that I feel like we're talking past one another. I'd like to get past talking past one another and really listening and engaging with people. So that's my goal. So that is why I left and I chose to leave. And that's that. That's it. How much can you blame the media for the division in this country right now? I blame it a lot. But again, that's kind of it's it's it is really easy to point on social media, Twitter, Facebook, you know, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, Newsmax. But we are all individuals in the end with the agency to take our lives experiences, take our morals and apply them to what we see. And, you know, I think if we, <laughs> I think if we were all to tune out the media, if we took like this national month holiday, people would get along really, really well. It's funny. I go to baseball games, my son's baseball games, where all the parents are vastly different in terms of their politics, their social backgrounds, whatever the case may be. And we all get along great because, you know, no one really talks about the politics and all of that. And we have a lot in common, basic stuff. We want to feel safe. We want our kids to feel safe at schools. We want some peace in the world. We want our kids to have a future they can look forward to and be excited about, be productive, happy people. I think at the end of the day, and I hate that phrase, sorry, but in the final analysis, those are the things we all really care about and should be working on. And there are so many tangential things, not that they're not important, but life is really short and we get this short amount of time to have an impact on it. And we're spending so much of it fighting over things that I'm not sure really are existential, that they really make or break us as a society. You would say that, except I'd stop you on, we also want a universe where everyone is treated fairly and safely by the police as well. I, I think we can agree that your experiences at home might not be the same as they are in other parts of the country, no matter how diverse you think your neighbors are. Right. I would definitely agree with that. We know that to be the, the case. So where do we start? We, we've, we've identified that. We know that that's an issue. And what we saw, look, I'm in Minneapolis. So the George Floyd incident was in my backyard. It was one of the most shameful, atrocious, heinous, sickening things I've ever seen in my life. Michelle, that teaches, though, critical race thinking, uh, you know, that would teach the, how the systemic police brutality that you find is built by police orders that descend from the slave system and treat whites differently than they do others. Like, that's at the soul of the facts in the history. So then how, for conversation's sake, okay, Dan, how is it then when I talk to a number of black police officers they don't agree with that, what you just said. Because they're uh, police officers. Meaning? Meaning they're going to defend their own. Not all of them. No, no one defended uh, Chauvin. No one defended Chauvin. 
You don't believe that the history of police brutality in this country through a militarized police force is something that descends historically and factually from the chasing down of slaves, that that's where the police, uh, where the, the idea of police was invented? That's a really loaded question. You're asking me to say yes or no to whether or not I believe that that's what policing is. is. But, but, okay, critical race theory can then teach us, though, what some of the roots are in the systemic racism you will find everywhere from textbooks to government, no? Critical race theory, one important word in critical race theory is theory. Critical race theory is fine to be taught at certain levels of school where people have the brain power to understand what theory is and what all this means. I'm not sure teaching all first graders that police officers are one way or the other. Oh, they're not teaching that to first graders. They're not teaching that to first graders. That is a college level course. They're not teaching that in elementary. Okay, well then if, if CRT is college level, I don't have any problem with it at all. Then what have we been doing for the last little bit here? We didn't find common ground, but closer. Not yet pre-K. You don't want it taught in pre-K. I think right now we have such a low percentage of kids who can even read. Here what? in Minnesota, only 47% of white kids can read at their grade level. When they get to college, Dan, they can read critical race theory or whatever else they choose. Okay. To read. Uh, progress for the moment. We will pick it up at another time. I'll see if I can get you to eighth grade. And by the end, we're going to chisel you down. First graders are going to be taught facts about racial history in this country over time. Her new podcast, Sideline Sanity, launched last month. Uh, you get it wherever you Dan, get your podcast. Dan, yes, ma'am. Dan, you can't get away with that. What happened? I have always said I want history taught truthfully from beginning to end to every grade level. That's that I have no argument with. So please don't put words in my mouth that I don't want eighth graders taught history. That's not at all where I stand. I want to teach first graders that, hey, the police descended from catching slaves. Do you have a first grader? I don't have one yet, but I want them to know the true history. That's a well, fact. I think it's we not... all agree that we want race uh, and history being taught truthfully. And at least here in the state of Florida, my governor is taking liberties with what exactly truthfully is. Look, there is a middle ground, but we don't agree on what the truth is. I'm not going to be able to sum it up in the time that we have left. So this is why I'm saying we're questioning all our institutions right now because we don't know who's telling us the truth. It's heartbreaking to me. She doesn't have the time to do it now, but I'm assuming you're doing it on sideline sanity, correct? So if they want more of your thoughts here, that's where they can get them. Yes, Michelle? Yes. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry if that was wearying for you. I'm sorry if it was wearying oh, for the audience. It was good I, seeing I you. you. It was good seeing you again. Likewise. Take care, you guys.